0: We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Monte. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Mani. It's been 20 years, you guys. No, it, it seems like it's been a long time. It's actually been 10 years now. Um, I think we've been in this building for maybe I don't know six, seven years, and we started when we came here uh, teaching in the Book of Genesis, and so you know uh, it's a, it's been a journey. But I mean, you know, all we shouldn't have any favorite books of the Bible, probably. <laughs> we probably shouldn't, you know. But um, they're all good. But I am so excited to study this with you, you know, because Samuel for Samuel uh, is a lesson I, I think that we really need to take to heart. Now, we're going to see it consists primarily of three individuals. It starts off with Samuel, and then it transfers over to Saul, and then uh, it gets into the life of David. Uh, First Samuel is a book that transitions from the judges to the kings. And uh, one of the things that I think of in the life of uh, uh, David is that he was a man after God's own heart. And so how many of you here you want to be a man after God's own heart, you know? And, and basically what that means is that you have a heart like God. You have a heart, like it says in Acts chapter 13, a man after my own own heart who will do according to all my will. Well, the one that we see, not a perfect guy, I think we can all relate to it. The one that we have as an example here before us is this guy named David. And what we're going to find in, you know, this story that we're looking at is that you know there's these different characters I think we're going to learn I, I just get you know I don't know about you guys, but when you when you study the life of Saul, don't you just think, "Oh Lord, don't let this be me and you cringe at the thought you know, but really i I think it's working more towards David, and in our our life we we kind of need a Saul in our life, somebody who's going to come against us. You know, we don't want a Saul in our life. We don't want persecution. We don't want trials. We don't want difficulties. We don't want to run and hide in a cave like David had to for, you know, 10 years or more. We don't, we don't want those things. But if you want to become a man or woman after God's own heart, you're going to need a Saul in your life. You're also going to need a Samuel in your life. Somebody that the Lord will use as a spiritual leader. You know, and they'll see the anointing of God on your life, and they'll tell you this is what God's called you to do, and give you that opportunity. You know, it's an amazing thing studying this book right here, because I know in my life that that's what I want. Lord, I want to be a man after Your own heart, and so God will use uh, not only the things that we're going through in life that you know we we got to face some, we got to embrace some, but then He'll take His word. And then he'll make sense of everything when your heart is right and when we're open. And so I'm so excited. I pray, you know, that as we go through this book, I think 1 Samuel's 31 chapters. So it'll probably take us about 31 weeks. I'm just joking. I don't know how long it'll take. You know, maybe 15, 16 weeks. That we will be a different people, and so I'm excited. You know, when you study the, the these, this section of the of the Bible, you guys probably know this. First uh, Samuel it begins with Samuel. We get into Saul real quick, chapter eight. The nations are already, in, you know, asking for a king, and uh, and then we get into David. By the time First Samuel's over, Second Samuel is then introduced, and then we get into the reign of David. That's finally when he begins to reign. Over Judah and then over the whole kingdom, and then you know Second Samuel is all about the life of David, and then you get into First Kings. Now First Kings begins in the reign of Solomon. It goes all the way through uh, Jehoshaphat, and then you see the life there of uh, Elijah. Then you get into Second Kings, Elisha, all the way to the. The 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 carrying away of the southern kingdom where they were taken into captivity. They're the final king of Israel. You have Zedekiah. You have Je- Jehoiakim. It's a it's a real amazing story. The rise and fall of Israel. But then you get into First Chronicles and Second Chronicles, and and what that is, the first ten chapters of First Chronicles are more along the lines of genealogy. But then you get into the life and the reign of David. And it takes you all the way first chronicles this his reign. now it's speaking primarily from a priestly perspective on the southern kingdom focusing primarily on the southern kingdom and then you get into second chronicles it's a repetition but again repeating it from a priestly perspective all the way until the captivity of Judah and so it's cool when you put all this together first uh, Samuel, second Samuel first King's Second Kings, uh, it's neat when you get a good picture of it, what God, you know, teaches us, I think, in so many ways, you know, the rise and fall of Israel. I pray we would learn a lesson from that, you guys, you know. I pray that our walk would be a constant, you know, increase, you know, in intimacy with the Lord. I pray that our walk would not be a rise and fall because we see so many fall. We don't want that, you know. We want to learn the lessons, and it's a great story that God has preserved for us in the nation of Israel. Now, as we get into 1 Samuel, just a couple of things real quick. Uh, according to Jewish tradition, Samuel wrote the majority of the book of 1 Samuel. Now, in reading 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 25, we know for sure he wrote a book. And then if you go over to 1 Chronicles twenty-nine twenty-nine, it says that Samuel wrote a book, and and Gad wrote a book and Nathan wrote a book and so more than likely according to tradition you kind of put them all together you got Samuel you've got Nathan you've got Gad writing the books of 1st and 2nd Samuel now as far as when did this take place what's the time frame on this well we believe that Samuel was born right around 1105 BC and we know that this is a book that covers 94 years He's going to die four years before Saul, who dies at the end of the book. And so it's right around 1105 B.C. up until 1015 B.C. Again, as I said, 1 Samuel describes the transition of leadership in Israel from judges to kings. And there's three characters that are prominent. We'll begin, first of all, with Samuel, and then we'll get into Saul, and then we're going to get into David. Now, Warren Wiersbe has a real interesting outline on the book. He says the first seven chapters deal with the failure of the priesthood. And then he says chapters 8 through 15 deal with the failure of the first king. And then he says the rest of the book deal with the training of the new king. And so I pray we would be blessed as we study. Today we're going to go chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to chapter 2, verse 11, And we're going to see in verses 1 through 7, Hannah's sorrow. That will be the first thing, Hannah's sorrow. After that, in verses 8 through 18, we'll see Hannah's supplication. Hannah's supplication. And then in verses 19 through 28, we're going to see Hannah's son. His name is Samuel. And then we'll close off tonight in chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, with Hannah's psalm. You know, Hannah's psalm. We're going to look at this lovely lady, Hannah, who's going through some difficulties in her life. And, you know, it's interesting to me, to me real quick, how, you know, we just got done studying what book? Do you guys remember? Ruth. Okay, good job. Right. (laughs) You know, and God was focusing primarily on Ruth in that book. And so now we come immediately to another woman. Huh. This time her name is Hannah. And what we find is that Ruth and Hannah are lifted up as women who were instrumental and fundamental to the rise of a nation. They are, you know, to us, godly examples of a positive and and a powerful influence that women can make in the church, in the world that we live in. And so I really want to encourage you, ladies, sisters, I pray That as we've studied these things, you would be encouraged to know that your role and responsibility is amazing. Understanding that God in his word emphasizes your part in his plan. Isn't that cool? It really is. Well, let's begin reading here in verse 1. It says, Now there was a certain man of Ramathame, Zophim of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Alcana." the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah and the name of the other Penina. Now, I know her name is Penina, not Penina, because Aaron told me, my son. He said, Dad, it's Penina. Trust me. Okay. (laughs) Anyways, Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And so this man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. We're going to study more about these guys' heavy lesson next week, Lord willing. But in verse 4, it says, And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. And so it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. And then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, Why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? I don't think so, dude. (laughs) It's not the way it works, huh? We see, first of all, Hannah's sorrow. We see here that her husband, Alkanah, he was of the lineage of Ephraim. And he had not only Hannah as a wife, but according to the scriptures, we see he was also married to another woman by the name of Penina. Now, just in case you're wondering, because I know some people, they, they, they see that and they think, well, did God approve of polygamy or in this case, bigamy? And, you know, we see that according to the scriptures, that the Lord apparently allowed multiple wives for a time But not once do you read in the Bible of God ever authorizing polygamy or approving of polygamy. As a matter of fact, when you go back to the first marriage, which we should always go back to as our model, the Lord in the beginning, it was not so. It was simply Adam and Eve, right? And so we find that God never approved of it. God never authorized it. He did allow it. But later, Paul would write to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, that if you want to be a bishop, which would be an individual who was to be an example to the church, you must be the husband of one wife. And so we see, just in case someone's wondering, hey, how does that work? You know, God did not... Approve of it, God did not authorize it; He allowed it for a season, but then he said enough you know and that 's a big difference than Mormonism, huh If you guys have ever studied Mormonism, Mormonism not only allows it Mormonism, according to the writings of Joseph Smith, its founder, approves of polygamy, and uh, they actually advocate polygamy to the point where the founder of Mormonism, Joseph Smith, when he died. He had 27 wives, okay? And so be careful for those of you out there who are thinking, hey, maybe Mitt Romney is a good candidate, man. and Be careful. Some people say, oh, the Bible, it's all right. No, God never said polygamy is okay. It brings headaches, and more importantly, it brings heartaches. Here we see a situation in the life of Hannah that brought so much sorrow to her life. You know, what we find is that they would all go up to Shiloh annually as a family, you know, supposedly to worship the Lord together. But Peninnah would take this time to severely provoke Hannah due to the fact that Hannah had no children. You know how ladies can be, right? Notice what it says right there in verse 6. It says, and her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable. Why? Because the Lord had closed her womb. You know, and and just as a quick side note, here's definitely a couple of problems that we see oftentimes among the people of God, right? We see it frequently in the church. Even sometimes Christians are competing with each other and it should never be that way. We should be completing each other, right? Not competing. We see sometimes there's sins of rivalry and it oftentimes happens in the church. It can happen to anyone. Uh, I want to say this just in case you ever become a pastor. It can happen to you. Pastors can be pretty carnal and they can be very competitive as they compare the numbers in my body or my building or my budget. I've seen it happen many times. I've even heard stories of the past of some guys who would compete in seeing who could sell the most uh, you know, studies afterwards. Ah, I sold 25. How many did you sell? You know, And you think about that and you're like, this is a teacher of the Word of God? But there's that competitiveness that, that, that doesn't belong in the church. It can happen to anybody, but at the same time I've also discovered a very vulnerable part of the body of Christ are the ladies. Huh. the sisters oftentimes so easily give you know sisters give blisters to others right they give that and and it shouldn't be so i think probably the reason is because oftentimes women are more emotionally led than men are not always but oftentimes and what that does is that then drives them to that point of you know, competitiveness. And that can happen and we can kind of visualize it in so many ways. But, you know, I just want to encourage you ladies to be so careful. You know, maybe you are more emotionally driven, but you got to make sure that you, you know, go against the grain of who you are. It doesn't matter what you feel. It's what's right. We walk by faith and not by feelings. We, we live by convictions and not emotions. Don't let those things lead you. Don't let them get the best of you. You know, here we see poor Hannah. She was just going to worship the Lord. And it just breaks your heart to know that that happens sometimes in the church where, you know, a lady can come, a sister can come, a brother can come. And, man, all they want to do is worship God. But someone comes in and for whatever carnal reason, they ruin that for someone else. They hurt him. And it's such a bummer. You know, again, poor Hannah, she's just going to worship the Lord together with her family, but she would only weep. Why? Because her rival provoked her severely, annually, probably continually, bringing Hannah to that place of misery. And even though we read there in verse 5, it says that, you know, to Hannah, he would give a double portion because he loved Hannah. The Lord had closed her womb. He would give her a double portion. We read in verse 7, it says that she did not eat. She did not eat. You know, part of the whole celebration, part of the whole worship, was when you would go to Shiloh, and we know eventually they would build the, the temple in Jerusalem. When you would go there, You would go and you would bring your sacrifices, you would offer your sacrifices, but a portion would be kept for yourself to have like a feast, you know, to eat together. If it was too far, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 14, you could just take some money, you buy your food there, you buy your offerings, your sacrifices there. And again, same thing, some to the Lord and some was supposed to be part of a celebration. And you read it in the Bible and God clearly said, I want you to have a great time together. It would kind of be like a Thanksgiving meal. Imagine going to a Thanksgiving meal and and someone just, they hurt you so bad that you don't even want to eat. That's what Hannah was going through. That was the sorrow and the heartache that she was experiencing. We see Hannah's sorrow and it's so sad. And your heart just goes out to her. But like I said earlier, David needed a Saul to make him the man he was. And even though we hate to see these things happen, in one sense, I think Hannah needed a Penaniah or Penina in her life to make her the woman that she would be. You know, it's so cool the way the Lord works things out, huh? because we know the Lord was the one closing her womb. The Lord was the one closing her womb. And so it's all part of God's plan, right? And wherever there's pain, and I want to encourage you, maybe it's somebody, you know, that you know, and you can put your finger on, and you know, man, I have a feeling they are a messenger of Satan, you know? Or maybe it's a physical ailment, a financial struggle. It could be an emotional thing. It could be, you know, a spiritual thing. But, you know, whatever it is, I want to encourage you to know that wherever there's pain, there's always a purpose. And wherever there's a great pain, There's always a great purpose of what God's doing, but you just can't lose heart. Because the lovers and children of God have his promises. Because your sorrows should lead you to the second thing we see today, and that is supplication. We see Hannah's sorrow, and then we see Hannah's supplication. Look what it says in verse 9. It says, so Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. And now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. And then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant, remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. And it happened as she continued praying, it says right here, praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. And so Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. <laughs> But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. And so the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. I don't know if you've ever been there. Maybe you're, you're there now. You know, how do you respond to great sorrow? Well, I would say great supplication. Hmm. What can we do when there's deep, heartfelt pain? How about deep, heartfelt prayer? And that's the example that we have. Hannah rises and travels to the tabernacle. She admits, I'm bitter in soul. But here's the thing, you know... And here's here's what, you know, I I know we need to know this, you know, because when someone provokes you severely and someone says something and, and, and maybe you're not even sure if they did it maliciously, you know, it doesn't even matter. You know, a, a lot of times we just want to just defend ourselves. You know, we just want to, you know, set them straight, put them in their place. It's so tempting to do that. But, you know... I want to encourage you. We don't read of Hannah doing that. We don't. I mean, what did she do? She she brought it to the Lord. She brought it to the Lord. You know, great sorrow, but it then led to great supplication. And she rises, travels to the tabernacle. She tells the Lord, I'm bitter in soul. But the thing is, she brought her complaints to the Lord and not everybody else. And you might be there, oh, you know what, I've got this situation going on. And, you know, pray for me. And, and then, you, you know, you kind of mask it as a prayer request. But, you know, be so careful. Because I believe that if you do that and you just, you know, you just don't take it to the Lord. You're not going to experience the things that Hannah experienced. She brought it to the Lord and she prayed and she wept, you know, uncontrollably really is what we read in the Hebrew. And what we see is that as a result of her trials, as a result of her tears over the years, she was brought to this place in her heart where she could say this. She said, Lord, if you look on me, if you remember me and grant me a male child, I will give him back to you. All the days of his life. And what we find is the Lord, you know, allowed her to go through the things that, that she went through in order to bring her to this place. Because God was going to do a work through the life of Samuel. You know, she says, I'll give him to you all the days of his life and I'll never let a razor touch his head. It was the Nazarite vow, right? And, you know, just as a quick side note, it's a place that all parents should be all of the time with all of their children. For our children are really not our children. They're the Lord's children. And we need to dedicate them to God, even as Hannah did, by setting them apart to God. And not only all the days of their lives, but even like we see here, before they're ever born. That's the type of parenting that we need to have. You know, we were noting earlier that what a difference a godly woman makes. And we need to also remember the potential in all of our children. Huh? Never underestimate what a difference your child, yes, your child can have in this world that we live in. In know, Malachi chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? Because God seeks godly offspring. I like what Worsby said about the baby that was to be born. He said this As he often did in Israel's history, God began to solve the problem by sending a baby. Maybe it's your baby, maybe it's your child. You know, I pray that we would have this heart that Hannah had. And and one of the things that we need to do so diligently is, is just praying, you know, for our children, praying to God. Praying will be one of the most important aspects of our parenting. And here we see that Hannah was praying, but, you know, kind of like Joy was saying today, you know, it wasn't just like your typical prayer. It wasn't just like all the other, you know, players. There was something different about her prayer You know, we see that she prayed with all her heart and we see that she prayed with all her soul. Look again at verse 13. It says, now Hannah spoke where? In her heart. (laughs) Only her lips moved. We see that she poured out her heart to the Lord. And then we see also in verse 15 that she poured out her soul to the Lord. You know, we need to have that. You know, John Bunyan said in prayer, it's better to have heart without words than words without heart. Is that your prayer life? Can you describe it that way? When you go before the Lord, are you pouring out your heart to him? Are you pouring out your soul to him? You see, Hannah's sorrow led to Hannah's supplication. And as she's there praying, you know, it's kind of sad what we read in verse 14, how Eli the priest was unable to sense her pain and he accused her of being drunk. We're going to see that this is a sign of a lack of discernment and love and leadership in the heart of the high priest of Israel. But again, Hannah didn't take offense. She simply explained, No, my Lord, I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. I poured not wine into my soul, but I poured my soul. Out to the Lord, which is exactly what we need to do when we're going through the fire. I want to encourage you today to pour out your heart to God, pour out your soul to God. Psalm 42, verse four, it says, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. You know, Psalm 62, verse eight, it says, trust in the Lord at all times, you people pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. But if that's not happening, you know, if you're not praying like that, then you're not going to experience all the things that God wants to do in your life and also, I think, in the life of your kids. You know, I think for a lot of us here, I think that that's where, you know, we have Our struggles as we struggle with our kids and, you know, we we blame it on everything. You know, we have so many scapegoats. But, you know, if parents prayed more for their children, if they poured out their heart for their children, if they poured out their soul for their children. What would God do? You know, I know we have skills and there's 137,000 books written on parenting. But I think that, you know, probably, you know, we can simplify it into being an example to them. And praying for them. With all our hearts. God will give us wisdom and all the decisions that need to be made for their life. For Samuel, he would be given back to the priests. And he would change the nation he would anoint the kings it's an amazing thing you know i think in looking at this one of the new testament equivalents would probably be 1 peter chapter 5 verse 7 you guys know that verse casting all your care upon him why cuz he cares for you the greek word translated casting it means to throw upon it means to you know place upon you roll it off yourself and onto the shoulders of the lord And I want to encourage you guys, man, whatever you're going through, whatever you will go through. And I was thinking about this today. You know, some people in the congregation, Lord, today are going through some tremendous trials, massive mountains in their life. But then I was also thinking for some of them, maybe not today, but tomorrow. The day will come when the trials come, the storm comes And it hits your house so hard. And that's when you really need to know these things. To cast all your cares upon the Lord, because we don't have the strength to carry those cares ourselves. They'll crush us in time. They'll crush us Every time. Another related passage, I think, is Philippians 4, 6 and 7. It says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You know, we need to do this. We need to pray. We need to give it to God. Give it. Give it to God with all our heart, with all our soul. You know, maybe you're here today and you're like, well, I've cried and I've tried this before. And I'm pretty sure that Hannah had as well. But for whatever reason, this time, there seems to have been a breakthrough. Because notice again, we read there in verse 18. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. And so the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer Sad. She went back and said, give me some of that ham. No, 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 no no ham. ham. She said, I I can eat now. I'm, I'm no longer sad. Now, it's interesting. You would figure, well, that wouldn't happen until after she got the news that she was pregnant, right? No, it happened in her prayer life. It happened when she knew, and there was just a breakthrough. There was something that happened in this prayer that she knew, I have given this to God, and he has heard my cry. There was a breakthrough. She wasn't sad anymore, and she said, let's grub. It's so cool. See, Hannah's sorrow led to Hannah's supplication, which then led to Hannah's son. Because look we read in verse 19. It says, And then they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord, and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And so it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son, and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked for him from the Lord. And now the man, Elkanah, and all his house, they went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned, and then I will take him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. And so Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you, wait until you have weaned him, only let the Lord establish his word. And then the woman stayed and nursed her son. Until she had weaned him. Here we see Hannah, first of all, birthing Samuel, and then Hannah weaning Samuel. And it's so cool, you know, when you read this story and you're like, wow, what a miracle. And You know, when we think of her giving birth to him, you know, and just, I don't know, I was just thinking about all the things that moms do uh it starts off with some 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 pain huh <laughs> you know and and i hope that sons children i hope you appreciate even in the very get go what your mom has gone through for you aren't you guys grateful that you don't have to do that guys can't handle it huh <laughs> you know i've learned over time that moms are amazing uh they not only give birth in pain for hours but for 9 months they carry they care for their child within them Hannah, when her son is born, she names him Samuel, which interestingly means two things, asked of God and heard by God. And that's the way it works. Huh? We're going to see that that was his life. She gives birth to him. And then in verses 21 through 23, as they're going up to Shiloh again, you know, she says, you know what? I'm not going to go up. I'm not going to go up until my child's weaned because when I take him there, I'm going to leave him there forever. To wean physically means to bring the child to that point where he no longer needs his mother's milk. Uh, According to Eason's Bible Dictionary, among the Hebrews, uh, children uh, were generally weaned at the age of three or four. We're we're not real sure. There's kind of different stories on this. Um, It could have been a little later, but we do basically know this, that that she took care of him, uh, she weaned him, and in those early stages, and those early stages for those of you who have, you know, little ones, they're just, man, they're just, the so major. I mean, it's, I can't even give to you the uh, articulate how valuable those early years are, and it's in those early years that she would. You know, just pray and and just, you know, of course, you know, share the word with him and raise him in the ways of the Lord. And, you know, there's an important lesson for us in that. You know, Elkanah says, "Hey, you going to go? She says, no, I'm going to stay here. And he says, OK, whatever you think is best, stay here for now. May the Lord help you keep your promise. She gave birth to Samuel. She weaned Samuel and then she gave him away in verse 24. Now, when she had weaned him. She took him up with her with three bulls, one ephah of flour and a skin of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh and the child was young. And then they slaughtered a bull, brought the child to Eli and she said, O my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed. And the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. And so they worship the Lord there. (laughs) You know, it's so cool, man. And that must have been hard. You know, there's not only the weaning, but obviously there's the bonding, huh? That takes place. Now, we don't read of Hannah having any other children at this point. We know later she will. But just by faith, she gives young Samuel to God. One version put it this way. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. One version, the New English Translation puts it this way. Now I dedicate him to the Lord. From this time on, he is dedicated to the Lord. And we really need to do that with our kids. Huh? Isn't it so important, you know, to give them to the Lord? And, you know, I, I was talking to someone the other day and they're telling me that their their child moved to, I think it was Colorado, and uh, and they're glad that they're coming back. And, you know, I don't know if you guys have kids that move far away and, you know, maybe sometimes they're serving the Lord. That's got to be tough. You know, and I've heard many stories of moms, even at, at a young age, Truly giving their children to God for God's purposes time and time again. And how God has faithfully answered those prayers. It's such a cool thing when you read this right here. Hannah's sorrow, it led to Hannah's supplication. And then it led to Hannah's son. And then we close today with Hannah's psalm. And we read in verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, And Hannah prayed and said, my heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. And the horn speaks of strength. And so, you know, the Lord just strengthened her, right? And notice what she says right here. I smile at my enemies. Can you guys do that? <laughs> because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. and There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is the God of knowledge. And by him, notice it says, actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken. And those who stumbled are girded with strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread. And the hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren has borne seven. And she who has many children has become feeble. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he has set the world upon them. He will guard the feet of his saints. But the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. How could she write? Such a beautiful and such a rich and such a deep psalm that has been preserved within the pages of Scripture for all of us to learn about how great our God is. How could that happen? Well, undoubtedly it happened through the fires of the furnace. Where she went through the difficulties and the struggles and the things that you and I, we run from those things and we, we just, you know, we kick against the goads when it comes to the fires and the trials of life. You know, because we as American Christians, what we want so much is for everything to go just right. And we as Christians become California Christians, which is another way of saying comfortable Christians. And she probably could have made herself a lot more comfortable just, you know, by duking it out with Penina. Huh? That makes me feel better. But what does she do? She not only faced the trial, she embraced the trial. She went through the difficulties. She took them to God. She poured out her heart. She poured out her soul. She is a great example for us. As you give it to God and you say, I'm not going to ask for his help or her help. And don't get me wrong. I know we need to bear one of these burdens. But you know what I'm talking about. When in the deepest part of your heart, you just want God to show up. You want God to save the day. And you don't want it to be in any way, you know, uh, able to be said, while well, he did it and she did it. You want it only to be said that God did it. Because it's then and only then where you really learn about how personal and how powerful God really is. You take the experiences of life and you, you just line them up with the word of God and you find... Out for yourself. You don't need to hear it from him or her anymore. How awesome God is. And you begin, you know, to to be able to walk with the depth and the character like Hannah had. You know, here we see in her song, she writes to herself, Hannah to Hannah. You guys ever pray to yourself? I mean, you know what I mean, right? (laughs) My heart rejoices, you know. In the Lord, my horn is exalted, strengthened in the Lord. And you see what God does for your life. She also, you know, has portions in her prayer where she, you know, is speaking to her enemies. You know, what? I know that sounds kind of weird, but, you know, and what that basically means is, you know what? I'm not afraid of you any longer. You don't have authority over me. Anymore. You can't manipulate me. You can't intimidate me. Because you know how great your God is. She, she smiles at her enemies. She tells her enemies, talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. Why? Because the Lord is the God of knowledge and by him all actions are weighed. And what that means is the Lord is the God who knows and he evaluates everything you do. She's not afraid of her enemies. She knows what God does to her life. And of course, she's speaking to God. She tells God, I rejoice in your salvation, God, because I've learned in such a personal way that there is no one like you. No one, right? And then she goes on and she just shares the contrast in life And we need to know those contrasts because what they are is they're lessons in God's sovereignty and they're also lessons in God's justice. You know, because sometimes we need to wait on the Lord because we think always in in the mentality of time. God has been a year. God has been two years. God has been ten years. But with God, it's not a matter of time. It's a matter of timing. And we're going to see that it was the timing For Samuel to be born, we're going to see the priesthood, the wickedness of Eli and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. How God was already preparing, you know, Saul, yeah, he's going to be there. He's going to fail, though. And then there's going to be David. See, and there's a contrast. And we learn the justice and sovereignty of God. You know, the bows of the mighty men are broken. But those who stumbled, he says right here, she says, are girded with strength. You know, those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, but the hungry now, in time they've ceased to be hungry. She who has many children, one day she becomes feeble, but even the barren now, they have seven kids. Hey, man, we got to know the Lord is sovereign. The Lord kills, and he will kill the two sons of Eli. He will kill Eli, right? But the Lord makes alive, and man, to us, we're going to see Samuel's born. He, the Lord, brings down to the grave, and the Lord he brings up. Not only does he bring us up, the Lord raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set among the princes and makes them inherit the throne of glory. The Lord makes poor, the Lord makes rich, For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he has set the world upon them. The wicked shall be silent in darkness. One day the wicked will get there. Justice, Psalm 73, but he will guard the feet of his saints. For by strength, we read in verse 9, no man shall prevail. No man shall prevail by strength. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven He will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth and He will give strength. Notice it says to His King and exalt the horn of His anointed. See, and already we see the Lord is setting everything up for what He's going to do. Beautiful prayer. Beautiful song. And so we read in verse 11, chapter 2. Then Elkanah went to his house at Ramah But the child ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. There he is. And maybe you're here today and you're thinking, oh, my kid's too young. No, your kid's not too young. Here we see this child ministering to the Lord. The Hebrew word sharath, it means to serve. And this is what Samuel did to the Lord through the priest, even from his childhood. And it's such a tremendous lesson for us, you guys, as we go through life, we learn from her what God is doing. And so maybe you're here today, maybe tomorrow, there will be that day of sorrow. God says, let it be a motivation. Let it move you, as you've read the example of Hannah, to a heartfelt supplication. Because then you will find that God, he's so good. He will give you the desires of his heart. He will line up your desires to where they belong. He will blow your mind away. And he will teach you. He will be your teacher. And he'll teach you things about God that are so awesome. You know, the story is a story of grace. Hannah's name, it means grace. And what we find right here is interesting. And Maybe we should just close with this. It's kind of funny, you know, how, how uh, many times we see that the story of uh, a nation being impacted begins in the home. It begins in the home. Moms, dads, you single people, what a difference that you can make as we get our life right with the Lord you know, we see that David would be born. He's a typology of Jesus Christ, huh? And for those of us here tonight that are Christians, we're so grateful that the Lord has sent Jesus. He's given us this relationship, so we can even go through a study like this and and understand His Word and be fed. But maybe you're here tonight, and you know, we'll, we'll just say this. Okay, I'll just say this. Maybe you're here tonight, and you're like, you know what? That was boring. Maybe you're here tonight and you're like, I didn't understand a thing that that guy said. Okay? Chances are, if that's you, then you do not know the Lord. If you're here today and you're like, you know what? I'm lost. It's because you're lost. And you know what? If you continue in your life without surrendering your life to Jesus Christ, you will go to hell. You will perish, and so tonight, as we come together, you know one of the things that I want to close with is just by telling you, man, that you don't have to die, you don't have to go to hell, you don't have to perish that the the Lord God of the universe, He sent His Son Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for all your sins, and what you need to do, and I know it sounds a little simple, man, but what you need to do, you who do not know the Lord. What you need to do is you need to go forward. You need to, you need to say, you know what? Something needs to happen. God, I need you in my life. God, I need you to come in and take over. I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And what you need to do is tonight. Nothing it doesn't have to be emotional. You don't have to cry. You don't even have to necessarily feel it. All you got to do is know it. That you are a sinner in need of a Savior. Jesus Christ loves you and He died for you. And what you need to do, according to the Bible, is repent and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And if you want to do that tonight, I pray that after we sing this song, just real simple, that you would come forward. We can pray with you, man. And we could lead you to the Lord. Don't leave here without knowing Jesus as your Savior. And so, Lord, we thank You so much because You're the God who teaches your church and You're the God who gathers a bride. You're the Savior. You're everything. It's all up to you and what you want to do, Lord. And I pray that tonight, Lord, as we close, that we would, Lord, take heart in Lord learning lessons from the life of Hannah. And I pray, Father, that as we go through the sorrows of life, that everyone here would allow those things to drive us to a place of prayer, Lord, like we've never been before. That we can get up and eat and be sad no longer and have a peace that surpasses understanding. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being such a good and awesome God. But we praise you. And I pray that we would close in a song of praise, rejoicing, rejoicing in our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. We need you. We pray that you do a new work by the power of your Holy Spirit in all of our lives. And we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel, El Monte at air code 626 Remember that Jesus loves you.